Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I am Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver, long-haul road tripping all over this resilience road. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. I'm Chris McDonald, holistic therapist, today's hitchhiker. Welcome, dear drivers, back to the driver's seat. Let's hit the road. Today's quote is a proverb. The body heals with play. The mind heals with laughter and the spirit heals with joy. Last week was our overview on resilience, so today is our first deep dive. We've brought on our guest, Chris McDonald, to talk with us about personal resilience. Chris is the host of the Holistic Counseling Podcast and has a wealth of knowledge and expertise, not only in traditional therapy, but in holistic approaches to health and well-being. Chris, thank you so much for joining us, and can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your work? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. I'm a mental health therapist and I own a practice in Raleigh, North Carolina called Path to Hope Counseling. And part of my clinical practice, I work with young adults who are facing life transitions and often experience anxiety, depression, trauma, or grief. And what I do with my young adults often is through a holistic lens, and I treat the whole person and work with them through meditation, mindfulness, trauma-informed yoga, and brain spotting. I had to think for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I am also host, like you said, of the Holistic Health Sleep Podcast. So part of my practice, I also do therapy for therapists. So I've always been interested in holistic self-care for counselors and use that as well with uh, therapists I work with. And as part of my podcast, we focus on helping clinicians be able to find other holistic modalities and how to use them in therapy. Cool. Can you expand a little bit on what holistic health is? Sure. So holistic health is looking at, like I said, a holistic lens, looking at the whole person, sometimes thinking about it and how they connect as well. As an example, so if I see someone for the first time and they put down a lot of depressive symptoms, I don't just look as a single part as they must be having negative thoughts and we need to work on that, like with cognitive behavioral therapy. So I might look at, okay, what is their diet like? Are they eating enough? Could that be causing low energy? Could there be something going on like a thyroid issue? So I do talk about some of the physical issues that can impact mental health because they're all correlated. So when one is off, it can affect all the others. I talk to clients, especially the first session, if they're going to their primary care provider, because that's an important part too, to make sure they're up to date on blood tests, to make sure there's nothing else going on that could be impacting their mental health physically. Also, looking at spirit, like how do they do spiritual practices or if they have any. And if they do, we talk about how to use them to help with coping as well. So it's kind of looking at the whole person instead of just certain parts of the person. So it's a little different than traditional therapy and that sometimes we might use some like breath work in sessions or mindfulness as well as doing some yoga in sessions, which is all trauma-informed. You mentioned that trauma-based yoga. What What is that in particular? When you're thinking about trauma-focused, it helps with not triggering people 
with yoga or other modalities that we use like breath work, trying to find, meet them where they're at. For an example, we won't ask people to close their eyes if they're not comfortable doing that. A lot of times for trauma, people are uncomfortable with that. So we might say, you know, look at the ground in front of you with your eyes gently open. So Mm -hmm. it's finding all those different ways to make it feel more comfortable for people. And we're not going to say safe because safe is sometimes not always how available for people that have experienced trauma. Or it might be, you know, having lower lighting in my office if they're with me. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. if it's too bright, that could be triggering. So really keeping in mind, what can I do to help them feel more comfortable in this space and not pushing too far, trying to meet them where they're at. You also mentioned yeah. another thing, brain spotting. Brain spotting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what is that? So that's based, that's using a modality. It's kind of like EMDR. EMDR is your eyes are moving back and forth. It's using your visual field to help locate trauma in the brain. Brain spotting is actually finding a spot. Let's say you're looking left a lot when you're talking about something. And it's putting you in that spot to stay there. That actually, through your visual field, you're able to go into the deeper subcortical parts of the brain and stay with the trauma or Mm. whatever issue you're facing. It's not always trauma. Sometimes it can be just anxiety is in the brain. It's unprocessed in the brain. So it helps you to process it by connecting with your visual field. So Cool. Excellent. I I had never heard of that. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's one of the most effective modalities I've ever used in therapy. I'm going to have to go read about that. Yeah. Kim seems excited. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really cool. I haven't been trained. I haven't been trained in it, but we talked about it in my grad program and I worked at a residential facility for kids with trauma that was included in some of the therapeutic work that various therapists did. And it was really cool to witness. Um, They also did EMDR and the um, biofeedback. So that's like a holistic model as well, huh? It was an interesting location to have done my internship for sure. They did the best they could with state funding to have holistic methods. I do expressive arts therapy, which is a little bit beyond cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a little bit less structured and allows for more influence of emotion in the expression of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so they were excited to have me there. You know, they have kids as young as six, and so they were We had a lot of fun coloring and talking about art and the way that it makes us feel. Oh, that's great. In terms of resilience, from a holistic health perspective, what are some things that might undermine a person's resilience or have them feeling stressed out, not resilient, maybe vulnerable? Yeah, I think a lot of times people haven't built up the inner resource to be able to handle stressors or manage stress, and they haven't been able to find some lifestyle changes that can help support and prevent that stress. So they haven't been able to discover what are the things that would work for me? What are the coping skills I can find that I can use in the long term? Because a lot of people try things one or two times. Oh, that doesn't work. Mm. Right. And they give up and that, that can be part of the problem or the opposite. Yeah. They take on too (laughs) much. Right. And, oh my God, I have to eat right. I have to exercise. I have to work on my negative thoughts. I have to do these 10 things in order to be well. And then Of course, they might put in, oh, I'm going to exercise five days a week on P90X or something crazy and do that for an hour and a half (laughs) each day. Or or I'm going to change my whole diet too. And and then, of course, that can lead to them not being able to be successful. So they kind of fall off the wagon sooner than later. And it's harder to get back on when you're kind of reinforcing those negative beliefs that I can't do this and disempowering them. 
We also fail to create support systems for ourselves very often. Yes. Of, you know, asking people like, hey, can you be in a space to help me as I build these new habits? Or do you want to join me on this journey? That's a big part of holistic health too, is building those support systems. They're important. Yeah. Yeah, It's all tied together. Yeah. I feel like we'll probably talk about that in in another episode in this arc too, because we're going to, we're going to cover resilience from this is kind of the individual, you know, what can you do yourself Mm -hmm. to build it? And then we're going to talk about how your community plays into that as well. Cause of course it's all holistic. It's all intertwined. (laughs) Yeah. What would be some ways to use holistic practices to build resilience for yourself? The way I teach clients is through preventative means and not just a band-aid approach. So of course our society is, Oh, you're having a hard day. So why don't you go take a walk or why don't you phone a friend or do something like that? To me, that's just a band-aid approach. So you got to do behind the scenes and be able to do things more consistently on a regular basis. For example, I teach breath work. So I do teach clients to, of course, start out small to maybe practice one or two times a week and build on that, but gradually moving on to a consistent daily practice because that's what builds the inner resolve, the inner resource inside so their nervous system is a lot calmer when stress happens or all the things go wrong, their car breaks down, for example, and then something happens with a babysitter and now they got to find childcare that day. So all these stressors that happen, they're going to be less likely to be reactive and be able to respond in a calmer manner. So building the daily consistent practices. Do you have a, a daily breathwork practice? Yes. What I do in the morning, I do some, some we call it pranayama with yoga and do some breath work with some meditation. And I also do yoga most days and do some reading too in the morning, just a little bit. And now when I say I do those things, I don't do like a 90 minute yoga class and 20 minute breath work. <laughs> Sometimes it's five minutes each. Sometimes it can be adapting to my schedule. And of course, if I miss a day, I guess thinking about what your other question about undermining, if you start to get into that negative cycle, like, oh my God, I never can do this. I never keep up with this. If you start beating yourself up, that's going to undermine your resilience as well and taking you away from the goal of trying to help yourself build the inner resource and overall well-being. So so that's how I kind of start my day. I think the the note about, you know, this isn't necessarily an hour and a half of yoga or something. <laughs> you don't have to do 90 minutes. It's an important minutes. one. <laughs> no. And it, I think it's come up before on your show, yes. I know, Chris. And it's yep. sometimes you hear somebody talking about, yes, I have a daily practice of yoga or meditation or whatever. And you think, wow, this person has so much time in their day to sit and do <laughs> no. this. But a lot of times it is, it's just a couple of minutes and that can make such a big difference. Sure. One, one of the ways that I present that to patients, to my patients is, this is like brushing your teeth and you do that routinely so twice a day and it takes two, three, four minutes, five minutes, whatever. If you include flossing, it can be longer. And the meditations or the breath work or just sitting quietly and getting in touch with all five of your senses. Any of that is like brushing your brain. So if you brush your teeth every day, That's brush great. your brain every day. <laughs> brush your brain. All Ben's right. laughing over uh, there. Yeah. The way that I bring it up with my clients is anything is better than nothing. Mm. Um, When you're going about daily things and you're feeling really heavy or really stressed out, anything is better than nothing. Using mouthwash instead of brushing your teeth, that's better than nothing. Sitting and doing some breathing for 30 seconds, it's better than nothing. And 
over time, you start to build it because it becomes easier to engage in. You start at the smallest increment and you keep going. I was talking about my own goals in regards to my health with my mom this afternoon. And I told her one of my goals is to go walk at least one lap of my small pond out in my apartment complex at least one time a week. She's like, wow, that's a really small goal. Why are you starting so small? And I was like, because I want to know that I can do it. (laughs) I want to be able to put the check mark there. Because without the check mark, you really do start to undermine yourself and be like, oh, I can't do this. It's too much. Yeah. And Kim, you point out a really important thing Mm -hmm. to measure what you're doing so that you can see it. So it's outside of the inside of your head um, so that you can see some sense of, oh, I am making progress here. The listeners can't see that, Kim. (laughs) As I hold up my habit tracker. There you go. That I started halfway through the month because another thing that we like to do when we're creating goals is we're like, I'm going to start this on Monday. Yes. (laughs) No, start it right now. The beginning of the week. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm going to start it. No, start it right now while you have the energy to do it, while you're committed to do it. Start when you're there and then it's easier to build. You finish your therapy session and you've been talking about doing deep breathing or stretching more or massaging, you know, your sore muscles. Do it right then. Start the process with the energy already there and it becomes easier to engage in the next day as well. Mm. And I think you bring up a good point with being flexible with your thinking with this. Because a lot of people get into the black and white thinking, well, I missed my workout today. That's it. I'm done. I'm never going to be able to do this. I give up. So again, undermining their own resiliency instead of saying, okay, I'll do that tomorrow and rescheduling it and really making Mm -hmm. a plan to do that. And And that's part of why when I'm creating my own goals, it's always at least once a week. Because that way, if I hit Sunday and I haven't done it, I'm like, all right, today, obviously I have to do it. But I have, you know, if Monday it rains, it's not like, oh, I said I was going to go to the gym on Monday. Well, Monday's raining and I feel miserable, so I didn't do it. Well, no, I just have to do it at least once before the end of the week. That's manageable. Yes. Most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's And you not. can build from there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the idea is to build. And, and a lot of times people will underestimate how well they are doing, how they have improved because they hit that one spot where they, they didn't do it consistently and then it's all over. But if you look at, you know, you started one time a week and now a couple months later, you're doing it three times a week and it's pretty consistent. You can celebrate that improvement. And this is another thing that I think holistically helps people build resilience, which is celebrating their successes. Really Absolutely. And also, you know, if you do keep track of it, you know, whether it's a phone app or notes to yourself or an actual physical tracker, if you do fall off and there's a couple of months where you're maybe not as strict with your practice because X, Y, or Z happened, um, you can go back and look at, hey, I worked up from, you know, not doing anything to doing this. I can do that again. You know, I can follow this pattern again. There was a point in the spring where I was running almost every day mm-hmm. and now I don't even walk anywhere. It's pretty bad, but I know I can do it because I have the month trackers from when I was doing that. So that external reminding, I mean, we've talked about journaling and externalizing our thoughts a fair amount on this because mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing to do. I think we've slipped into the next question already, oh, which yeah. is what are some easy ways that listeners could try out strategies to build their resilience. So we've already talked about breath work. We've talked about yoga, going for walks, 
tracking what you're doing. So you have a sense of consistency. And I guess that's, that's its own reward system for some people, right? Seeing your progress. Chris, do you have anything you want to add to that list? I think going back to the reinforcement insight timer is an app I use that can give you stars. I I like stars. It's a little reward for me (laughs) (laughs) that I've meditated a certain number of days, keeps track of my minutes, my hours. So for me, it's I'm looking back and like, so I've dropped off this week. So what? Look at how many I've done. Like Kim said, it's another way. Some people like apps better to track things and not paper, which is totally fine. And I think it is individualizing this process. What works for you? Do you like paper? Do you like an app? Do you like to put it on your laptop? Whatever works. And starting small, I know we've talked about that some on here, but even just 15 minutes for a walk one time a week to start, totally okay to be there and accepting that. But what is your plan for an off day? So let's say it doesn't happen. What is your conversation with yourself? What do you say to yourself? And being able to find that inner encourager to kind of get yourself going again. And be think, and that's what I talk to clients about too. How can you find that inner encourager? What would that voice sound like on those days to keep you going? Because that's what builds that resiliency to keep going, even when you have the setbacks. Because life's going to happen. How do we find that voice? What What would you advise a client? Practice, yeah. right? We do have to practice, and in, in the moment. But I think planning ahead, and then in the moment to say, "Hey, let me write this down for myself. Let me remind myself, and be able to say." What is some way I can treat myself with that self-compassion to say instead of beating myself up and getting, because I teach them about the negative cognitions, like I'll never do this now and being able to identify that, really challenge it and then be able to reframe to say, hey, you know, I missed today, but that's okay. And be mm-hmm. able to practice that and seeing the differences. And that's one thing I, I work with clients on. What are the differences and how can I discover that inner compassion? Like, how would you talk to a friend? Would you beat them up if they missed a workout? No. <laughs> Like, do Depends it again. on the friend. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I was like, mm, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. But, you wouldn't be I, like, well, what's wrong with you? No, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> the guys that I work out with will just call mm-hmm. and say, are you okay? Because their assumption is if I didn't show up, it must be because I'm not okay. <laughs> Which is very true of, of the boss. He's always there. I think an important thing to do as well is look back at once you've soothed and talked gently with yourself, look back at the week and explore what did prevent me? What did stop me? So that way for the future, we can know these are big roadblocks that we know are going to hijack my ability. That's a good point. Three big business meetings in one week and that knocked off your regular schedules. All right. Is there a way in the future to not do three big business meetings in one week? Not necessarily an achievable thing, but it might be depending on your job. And if we do have those three big business meetings happening again, what can we do to prepare ourselves for that type of week? What is that? The Monday night quarterback, Monday morning quarterback. It's some sport reference. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Solid. It's like the, the day after the big game going back and rewatching the big game. And seeing like, all right, yes, here's where that, that would be Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. that one. There we go. See, I, I knew it was a Monday something. <laughs> or we could go medical and, and say it's a, a postmortem. <laughs> I was trying not to say that because that sounded really sad. It, well, because it is. Yeah. And, and the other part is there are generally two voices in people's heads, the judge and the encourager. And if you feed the judge, the judge gets very loud. <laughs> Yes. And we'll beat up on you when you're not perfect. So feed the encourager. Chris, you were pointing out that if you 
treat your friend nicely, if you would be accepting of your friend's inability or inconsistency or whatever, then be that way with yourself. And, and I often tell people, if you wouldn't say it to your child, you can't mm. say it to yourself. How do you do that without going too far? The Like you just said, if you feed the judge too much, you get a lot of negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. What happens if you go the opposite way and you're just too lenient and you never get to do any of this stuff, but you're also like, that's ah, fine, it's fine. But you're still stressed out. You don't have any resilience. You're not coping with things well. Like, how do you balance that? So you just paired lenient with mm. the encourager. And that's not necessarily the case. The encourager can still be saying, okay, our target is this and we missed it. That's all right. How are we going to get back on track? So not lenient at all, Mm. just gentle. That's a great point. Yeah. Figuring out a plan, right? So if if I get off track, what can I do without beating yourself up? Right. And falling into that, anything that's encouraging is lenient, has no goals, won't, you know, will accept poor performance. That's a very American cognitive mm. distortion that the only way to improve is to, to beat up on yourself no. or to beat up Come on back others. on the couch again. <laughs> Research yeah. says that doesn't work. The couch? Yeah. No, yeah. beating yourself up. <laughs> oh, beating yourself up. Right. Right. That never, sh- never shows to be a positive right. reinforcer. That makes sense. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you for having me. Where are some places that listeners can find you and learn more about you? And I mean, I'm going to point them at your podcast, of course. So we've already got that one. Why, thank you. <laughs> so I also have a website for my practice. It's www.pathtohopecounseling.com. And that has all my information, information for therapists and also for clients. Cool. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Drivers, I hope that you learned a lot from this episode. Individual resilience is critical to creating a life worth celebrating. And as you all know by now, that is our number one goal. So next week, tune in for a conversation with longtime friend of the show, Janice Acevedo, about resilience at work. And let me tell you, she's got some experience about resilience at work. Until then, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.